Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Kendall Roden. Kendall is a senior program manager for Azure Container Apps. When she's not online, she's most likely taking on a new adventure, whether that be traveling solo to New Zealand, teaching cycle, or performing stand-up comedy. Welcome, Kendall. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. I wanted to jump in and say... Kindle Roden, but I decided I should wait because I wasn't sure if there would be a segue. So uh, <laughs> thanks for the introduction. Yeah, I sound really exciting in that intro. Need to get back to travel someday, hopefully. For sure. Um, so before we jump into the meat of things, uh, would you give our listeners a little bit more of an introduction to yourself? You know, tell them how you got started in the industry. Yeah, for sure. So uh, hi, everyone, virtually, I guess. Um over the airstreams. It's nice to nice to be here. And thanks so much to all of you for inviting me on the show. It's always a great opportunity to get to talk about the things that I love doing, um, especially in the IT space. So I started out uh, straight out of college at Microsoft, went to the University of Alabama, which by the way, I know this, um, this podcast will probably be released down the line, but we actually have our national championship game today. So got to say roll tide. Hopefully this age as well. If not, don't come at me. Um, But yeah, so went to Alabama, graduated with an MIS degree, so management information systems. And um, at Microsoft, started out in our consulting practice. So formerly Microsoft Consulting Services, uh, now called Industry Solutions. So I focused heavily on the um, app modernization space. So did a couple of really neat projects, uh, learning a lot about coding. So I had development background, but really not that much, right? Fresh faced out of college. So um, ended up taking on a project for about a year and a half doing uh, web API development. So I wasn't necessarily architecting the system as much as I was just writing a lot of .NET Core web APIs. Um, So did that for, like I said, about a year and a half and then had the opportunity to migrate into the Azure space a little bit more. So through my involvement at Microsoft and in the Microsoft community, I ended up getting involved in the Azure podcast. So um, that's something that I've been a co-host on now for, oh my goodness, I don't even know, four years, which is crazy. Um, Yeah, it's been a while. And um, through that, obviously, that opened my eyes to Azure. And I was one of those people coming out of college who did not really understand what the cloud was. So if somebody, you know, cornered me and said, what's the cloud? I would be like, oh, you know, and I'd point up at the sky because the first thing you think of is that it's an actual cloud. Um, I knew it wasn't, but I really didn't understand it fully until I saw my first data center and somebody really helped me understand uh, the whole process of, oh, it's just someone else's computer and you're just storing your application code and, you know, data somewhere else. And so um, through that journey, I ended up getting a role that was more focused in Azure, as I mentioned. And so in that role as a premier developer consultant, I did everything from like Azure DevOps to helping customers understand how to do application testing locally. Um, And there was a need for expertise in the containerization space. And at the time I had no idea what that meant, like truly did not know what a container was um, and really didn't have that much experience in virtualization at all. So even the concept of a virtual machine and these other things were fairly new to me. So I had like two or three months on that team where I basically just stayed up all night, every night trying to understand what Docker is, 
and what Kubernetes is. And that kind of just became my thing. So flash forward 11 months later, I joined the cloud native global black belt team. Um, so yeah, it was a quick road. I ran uphill for sure. Um, many sleepless nights, but ended up doing a lot of work with customers who were taking Kubernetes to production on Azure. So through our Azure Kubernetes service offering. And uh, that's a lot of what I did and fell in love with, I think, community work, just getting you know people involved in the product, getting feedback directly from customers. So started running the AKS public office hours. So that's something that's been going on now for, I don't know, I think over a year and a few months. And so that's our way as um, you know, specialists on that team of getting direct customer feedback, helping them understand the roadmap, talking about technical implementation challenges. Um, and then all of that led me to my now role as a PM on container apps, because it basically marries a lot of what I was doing with containerization and Kubernetes, um, but brings in some of these open source projects that I've gotten to touch and kind of fallen in love with over the past year. So uh, Dapper being one of those, the distributed application runtime, um, just a huge fan of that project and got to work on it a lot with customers in the GBB role. Um, and so now that we're providing that as a managed aspect in container apps, I'm able to bring some of the customer knowledge to the team. So super, super, super excited because it's sort of like the perfect melting pot for all the things that I've sort of fallen in love with over the five plus years I've been at Microsoft now. So uh, hopefully that gives you at least, I think, a pretty comprehensive background. Yeah, so I, I saw on Twitter that you uh, recently moved over to uh, taking the uh, senior PM role for Azure Container Apps. You want to tell us a, a little bit about what that role is and, and what what your day-to-day is like and, and maybe start diving into what is or what are Azure Container Apps. Yeah, so it's um, it's a totally new area for me coming from sort of the consulting background and then being more implementation and customer-focused to being internal, uh, you know, working directly with engineering. And so I, I want to encourage all of you that are starting out in your career especially in the technical space, or maybe are even, you know, later in career. Um, I really, I feel like every step in my career thus far had really just been working hard and trying to excel in what I was doing. And then an opportunity would open up, right. A teammate would recommend me for another position or, um, you know, it was all just kind of like my career happening. And it wasn't until I hit five years that I thought like, what do I love about what I do and what are the ways that I can actually make this a core part of my responsibilities. And so the PM role I gravitated toward because I knew there was going to be an opportunity to make direct impact on something. So obviously with a lot of these Azure services and a lot of these customer accounts, you go in and you sort of have a scoped impact, right? Maybe it's a specific technical issue that you need to unblock or, you know, a pre-sales opportunity. And I loved the idea of being able to come in and really see something grow end to end um, and taking my technical experience to help, um, I guess, make me more um, more effective. And so the PM role has been just that. So I've only been in the role for, you know, been doing the work transitioning into the role for a couple of weeks now. Um, but it really is exciting to kind of see all of the moving pieces of making a product, um, you know, possible because essentially we went preview just a couple of months ago. So I'm like really new and we're trying to drive toward that like general availability date and milestone. And so a lot of it is how do we prioritize features? How do we receive customer feedback on what we've released and iterate on that? Um, how do we take some of these hypotheses around what we think customers want and what they need in a technology um, and a solution that's, you know, like container apps and make sure that that's actually going to um 
that those hypotheses are correct, that we're really meeting a customer need and that we're filling a customer gap. Um, I do a lot of work right now, at least so far, helping with the documentation aspects, right? Because it's a new product, a new service. How do we make sure that we have like ample opportunities for people to get started? How do we identify maybe the areas or gaps um, that we need to fill in order to make people more productive on the service? Um, and then specifically, one of the areas that I'll be focused on is our open source integration. So things like Dapper, right? How do we make it a really impactful Dapper experience because we're managing it for the customer, right? Like what do we abstract away? What do we make um, modifiable for the customer? What do we expose to them? Um, and so I've done a lot of work with the Dapper team at Microsoft to understand like, hey, where are areas for opportunity? What are maybe some features um, that we need to plan to integrate in the future? And so there's just a lot of moving pieces, like any given day is just a lot. And meeting with customers has obviously been a fun part of that, right? Like we're on the cusp of releasing this new service. There's a lot of customer interest. So helping with roadmap and helping customers understand, you know, where we're going and why the service exists. Um, so all that to say, I can talk a little bit about the service just at a high level. I'm sure there will be additional follow-up questions, but essentially if you look at the um, you know, I think a few of you, as mentioned, have some Kubernetes container experience. Like I heard John, you know, is a big Kubernetes guy. And um, and obviously, like I, I've been a big fan of AKS and got involved in the upstream project through AKS. So got to do a couple cycles on the release team, just like understanding how open source projects work. And it's sort of mind boggling. But Kubernetes is uh, I know Clayton said, he was like, hey, you know, I like Docker, but, you know, when it comes to Kubernetes, that's another beast, right? Like there's so much involved and that's so true. And we've seen that time and time again with customers, right? They want to use Kubernetes. They want scalability. They want flexibility. They want portability, like all of these abilities that Kubernetes provides to them. Um, but the challenge is like it comes with a cost, right? An operational cost, typically, uh, you know, some kind of headcount, right? People who have the experience to be able to manage like the complexity that Kubernetes provide or that brings to the table. And so we've sort of, uh, you know, created Azure Kubernetes service to meet a need, right. To, to manage some of that complexity for you. But the reality is, um, Azure Kubernetes service really isn't a fully passed platform. There's still a lot of infrastructure consideration, um, and operational burden that comes with any of these managed Kubernetes services, right. You have to think about how am I going to do patching? How am I going to do updates? Um, and we constantly release new features to make the service more manageable and to provide additional, uh, I would say, like layers of automation to help alleviate that pain, but it's still there. And so we've seen app service and we've seen the way that PaaS platforms really help from a productivity perspective. So we were thinking like, how can we provide a more PaaS-like experience for people who want to run containers, but don't want to manage all of the complexity that Kubernetes might bring? And, and how can we do that in a way that still provides a high level of fidelity so that if you did want to move out of the service to a Kubernetes platform, you still have some of that. And, and obviously that's still being flushed out like that experience, um, but that's the goal. So it's can, it's essentially a serverless um, container platform geared, geared or targeted at microservice-based workloads, but there's other things that you can bring to the table as well. Um, but that's essentially what Container Apps is. It's an abstraction on top of Kubernetes to help make running microservices easier. And um, if you think about some of our other container offerings, so we have like Azure Container Instances, for example, um, which is really, really great if you want to get a container up and running, but it's really more of a managed IaaS sort of container platform, right? Like anything that you were running locally on Docker, you could take and spin up. But when 
when it comes to things like service to service discovery or automatic scaling, like that's not available in Azure container instances. So we kind of found somewhere on the spectrum to bring a new service that could kind of meet a need that maybe wasn't being met in the portfolio that we already have. So with with that, with um, uh, what you just said, is is Azure Container Apps also going to solve some of the um, developer time issues? So like if I've got <clears throat> I've got the service I'm working on, and then it has to discover, let's say, three other services. When I'm doing my local development, currently I would create like say a Docker Compose file, and I would I would spin up those other services to connect to. Uh, for the purposes of of testing my development. But then when it goes to, like, currently, I'm basically going, DevOps, I don't know what I'm doing. Please help. <laughs> and and they have, you know, all that stuff has to be wired up in the configs and, and everything else and, and set up uh, in various different ways. If all of that is going to be, on the Azure side, be managed by Azure Container Apps, how do I wire that in as a developer? Uh, and is there a way to do it locally? Yeah. So it's a really, really good question. And I think like, honestly, pings at the core heart of what we are trying to solve, which is how do we provide kind of a high fidelity developer experience for a platform that is somewhat abstracted, right? Because if you're running Kubernetes, you you might spin up a mini cube cluster or some other kind of local cluster, or maybe you would do some kind of like remote or hybrid um, scenario. And I think we're still figuring out what that's going to look like for container apps, to be completely honest. So right now we would still expect that customers would have to have a high bit, uh, um, not, I wouldn't say high, let me think they still have to be knowledgeable about containerization. So like Docker Compose is most likely still going to be um, like a local development paradigm with container apps. Um, We have other projects that you could consider things like Project Tie for running multiple services locally, but we don't necessarily have a way other than doing kind of the uh, quick inner loop deployment through GitHub Actions into the service to be able to get the kind of testing experience that you might uh, desire. And so I think that's something that will still be flushing out, right? But I don't imagine that you'll see Docker Compose or things like Ty going away from the local development experience because typically, even if you're thinking about like developing with Dapper, you're going to need some kind of um, of tooling that enables that for you to be able to spin those things up locally. And so I know we are investing a lot in Visual Studio Code and Visual Studio Enterprise integrations, uh, but I think the end-to-end scenario still has um, room to be Uh, I would say improved and invested in as we move forward. Um, But it's certain like that's what's keeping me up at night is the ways that we can say like, hey, how are we going to really enable a great local development experience? And I think the rest of the team would echo that. Like we really want to invest in things that make sense to make the inner loop more productive for developers. So super great question. (laughs) It'd be awesome if if there was a a connector that linked you know, like what I'm doing with uh, maybe Dapper or Ty locally with what Azure Container Apps is doing in the cloud. Um, I, I like, I don't, well, this was a little while ago, but like when when um, when we got the right click to add Docker demo and it was just like, like, I don't know, I just, I just right click and it's there and I don't have to do anything and then magic, like something like that would be amazing. Uh, finger, fingers crossed. Totally agree. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And there's definitely some work in progress. And I think people internally at Microsoft who who obviously want the product to succeed. And the nice thing is there is, because it's built on open source technology, we're seeing a lot of people who are bringing ideas to the table on ways that we can kind of 
tackle some of these core initiatives that we have. And so I think we'll definitely see some community contribution to around some like potential uh, like translation, right? Like how can we go from Docker Compose to uh, Container Apps Manifest or something like that, right? And so uh, hopefully we'll continue to see progression in that area as we move closer to a GA. Yeah, and the whole space is moving so quickly, but it's moving in such a way that the community and those involved in the community and Microsoft in particular are making sure that we have the appropriate tooling so that we can be successful as developers. I know when I first dipped my toe into the Kubernetes space, there were still uh, things like Tiller that we had to contend with. And so, you know, there's YAML and there's all kinds of, of com- concepts that we have to be familiar with and, and grasp. So it, this containerization journey is still ongoing and, and still going to be bumpy for a little while. But I think the the tooling's getting better. The workflows are getting better. I, I wonder if if maybe we can speak to when when would we choose uh, Azure Container Apps? When would we choose something like ACI or AKS? What are, what are the the use cases for each? Why, why not just go directly to something like App Services? Yeah, and I think the I, I like. I know it's so funny because I feel like the it depends answer is what you always get with questions like this because it's such a spectrum and there's so many considerations. So like I think every customer has certain reasons why they'll choose a particular platform, right? And I think especially when we think about like kind of functions as a service all the way to kind of when we think about PaaS, when we think about IaaS, when we like a lot of it's always that like how much control do we need over the environment, right? Like level of control versus like the management plane and the overhead. And so I think like that same question is going to be asked when you look at something like Azure Container Apps. So, you know, the reality is a lot of customers, um, you know, we have smaller teams who don't necessarily want to take on a full Kubernetes implementation. And so, you know, is what's the size of the team? What's the current skill set? What's the type of workload you're deploying, right? If it's microservices, really... AKS is going to be your best bet until Azure Container Apps came along, right? ACI didn't have the kind of capability you really needed to do microservices. Um, So to me, that's going to be more one-off container workloads, things like IaaS that you can lift and shift. It has a Hyper-V isolation. So when you think about that, um, you know, you get the the ability to kind of go dot, you could even go .NET full framework, right? Like that's something right now we don't support Windows containers and like Azure Container Apps. So like that's something to consider, right? So I think there's a lot of different questions you'd have to ask yourself. And I definitely know that we've, we've had this question time and time again from, um, from customers like, Hey, where does this fit in? Like, when do I choose what? And we have, uh, we've, I think had created an updated decision tree, but we also put out some documentation around what are each of the services and where do we see them being targeted? Um, but yeah, I would say for ACI kind of more one-off, you know, maybe some background jobs, maybe even just like, um, like DevOps runners. Like we've seen people spin up their, um, their DevOps agents in ACI. So I definitely think there's some workloads that are, you know, well-tailored and suited to something like ACI. But if you need a high scalability, not not a great platform just because you don't get that out, out of the box, right? It doesn't have the concept of horizontal scale. Um, you can, I believe you can do GPUs in ACI. So that's something that I know that some customers have gravitated to ACI for. Um, when it comes to app service, App Service is a great platform. And for some customers, they want to run their applications and they don't need containerization. And I think App Service can be great for that. I think once you get into the containerization story, some of the granular 
granularity of scale becomes challenging just because you obviously within an app service, you can deploy, let's say like a few microservices with a Docker compose file. If you want to get granular scale of those things, you can't necessarily do that, right? If you scale up, you scale one instance of each one of the containers within the microservices architecture. So if I have one, one particular service that's going to need like much higher scalability than the rest, I don't necessarily get that kind of fine grained control in something like an app service when I go toward containers, right? Um, so I think that there's definitely use cases, but I would say that the goal of Azure Container Apps is microservices are kind of our, I would say our number one use case. We're also supporting things like um, background processing. And unlike Azure Functions, we've really built the service to support that. So we don't necessarily enforce the same timeouts that you would expect or uh, you know, from an Azure Function um, type of implementation. And then I think the question then becomes like, what about the AKS Azure Container Apps kind of comparison there? And I think a lot of it is, let's say you go to AKS or you go to Kubernetes anywhere and you realize, hey, you know, we don't want to manage some of the complexity that, uh, you know, comes with this platform and we don't necessarily need it, maybe based on the size or scale or the skill set of the team. Can we potentially move that to something that's more managed for us that abstracts some of the complexities? We don't need some of the more compli complicated features or access to more granular controls over the cluster. And therefore, maybe Azure Container Apps is going to be a sweet spot for me. And then we might have some customers come to Azure Container Apps and say, hey, I need a lot of a lot more control over the way that the Kubernetes API is behaving. I need to have way more control over my application workloads and advanced, you know, features within Kubernetes, that's when you might say, okay, well, it makes sense to go full-blown Kubernetes or an Azure Kubernetes service because we provide a lot more of the ability to tailor um, the way that the, the cluster operates and the way that your workload runs on top of the cluster. I hope that was comprehensive enough. It's such a, it's like such a Pandora's box, but I think that there's certainly workloads that can be targeted at all of the platforms, which is, I think why we, you know, continue to maintain them. Um, and I think it really comes down to like, what is our objective? What is our workload? You know, asking those kind of questions and seeing if it fits. So you've mentioned uh, that you don't know when this is going to make general avail availability, but uh, is there a way for people to kind of get their hands on it now? And how, how can we start playing with it? And then maybe another sort of bigger question would be what are the kind of things obviously in like abstracting some of those the complexity away maybe it, it lowers the bar for what you have to understand and know but what are those other things that you're not going to be able to abstract away that you're going to have to understand you know uh what it means to set you know we we, we need to you know and you know aks um you know, uh, understanding like um, reverse proxies, uh, you know, ingress and all of that sort of stuff. And and really to, to unlock that, you're going to have to like get a grasp of that. But like, are you guys going to be able to take care of those things or what are the things that you're going to that we will still need to be able to, to understand? Yeah, that's a totally fair question. So I think the first part of your question was, um, was it getting started? Sorry, I just want to make sure that I. OK, yeah. So um so yeah, around the GA, right? We're still we're still internally figuring out what that's going to look like, and so we're not going to release any specific um, release date at this point. But if you're interested in keeping track of the product, we do have a public GitHub repo where we'll be tracking our roadmap. That'll probably be in a couple months before we really get all of the work items there. And part of that's just because we're still determining what our priorities are. 
um, in our implementation, you know, because we are so early in the process. And so, uh, you know, definitely keep an eye out on that repo. I can drop a link and make sure that we connect that with the recording um, when it's released. Um, but we also will be taking issues there. So like if you're running into an issue running a particular like repo sample, or if you have feature requests or, you know, whatever that might be questions, we're really actively monitoring that repo. And we want to make sure that we're doing things, you know, out in the open and embracing the open source strategy, especially because we're built on these open source technologies. Um, from a like, what do I still need to know sort of question, right? Like, yes, we can handle certain things. What are we not handling? So I will say, if you go through the getting started docs, like you will be pretty shocked at how much we're handling for you and how easy it is to get some of these things, um, you know, up and running. And especially with having, you know, I have some insight into where we're going and I think that experience is going to continue to be enhanced. Um, so a few of the things that I didn't mention that I think are I, I kind of talked about the spectrum of when you might target a particular service, but within our service, there's also some differentiation um, that I think is compelling, you know, outside of the higher level questions you might have to ask first. Um, so one of them, as I mentioned, is we're managing um, Dapper for you. So Dapper, the open source project, basically helps codify some of the best practices that you have to consider when building microservices. So things like um, PubSub, right? Like how do I wire up PubSub for a lot of my services to communicate, um, you know, without being tightly coupled? And how do I do things like service to service invocation um, with MTLS? And how do I um, do things like state management? So I want to be able to abstract away the state, state management implementation. So I'll just give like one brief example of a, like a dapper implementation to make it a little bit more tangible. So like, let's think about uh, Cosmos DB, for example. So that's one of our, um, you know, databases that we provide in Azure. It's a managed service, um, super cool uh, service. But let's say I want to make use of that as a state store for one of my applications. Like, typically, if you're a developer, .NET developer, um, you're going to have to wire up some kind of, um, you know, library, some kind of, you know, you're going to have to do some kind of import, right, to make use of like the Cosmos DB or like the document D, DB library, right, in order to actually go out potentially even an SDK that you're going to use in order to make calls to that service to retrieve state, store state. And so like you become very tightly coupled with a particular implementation. And then it's very challenging to go make iterative changes and say, hey, OK, Cosmos DB was a great option, but we want to use Azure storage because the cost, right, or whatever it might be, maybe down the line you make a change, like you're going to basically have to go completely change that configuration in your code. And so what Dapper provides is basically it runs a sidecar model. So you know, within the containerization paradigm, like you have your primary application code running in a single container, and then you'll have supporting sidecar containers that might do things like log aggregation or like some kind of secondary job to help support the primary function of the main container. And so Dapper runs as a sidecar and essentially through um, HTTP and gRPC APIs, I can basically call out to a state API on my sidecar. Um, and that sidecar will then take a component YAML file that basically specifies, hey, I want to use Cosmos, and it'll go out and broker that connectivity. And then it'll also basically manage the state in an abstracted way, right? So I can say like state, and then I can say like retrieve essentially. So I call the Dapper sidecar, Dapper sidecar wires up to Cosmos, retrieves the state and returns it to my application. So instead of having all of that plumbing code, I just have a single REST API 
um, that I can call out to. And what makes what's really nice about that is now I can swap out that component with a variety of other components, be them, you know, what if I'm running locally, I might want to run certain components locally um, so that I don't have to hit any kind of Azure services or, you know, services in another cloud. And then when I go to deploy in AKS, I might want to use Azure related services. And when I go deploy, you know, in GKE, I might actually use Google based services. And all I have to do is change out that configuration without changing my application code. So that's like fundamentally how it works for some of these concepts. And so we manage Dapper for you, which is really compelling because it makes it really easy to get up and running as a developer with some of these services. And it makes it really effective to not have to put all of that plumbing code in your actual application. So that's one of the differentiators. Um, And so that's something you'll still have to be aware of to some extent is like, how does Dapper work if I want to make use of it? But we're abstracting away the Dapper implementation. So you don't have to go deploy like the Helm chart for Dapper or like do the like Dapper upgrade. Like all of that's going to be handled by us. Um, and you basically just enable Dapper in your config and we go out and we'll you know make use of your components. Um, we have Envoy managed in the cluster as well. So like when you're talking about ingress, like if I'm a customer running in Kubernetes, I have to think about like, how am I going to wire up my services and how do I expose my ingress and like what ingress controller am I going to use? And like, you have to make these decisions. So we basically manage Envoy to do all of the um, like service discovery. And it also does the um, uh, like it creates your FQDN for you. So basically it's going to expose, you know, the ingress to any uh, container app that you want externally exposed. So obviously you can do internal ingress, um, but you can also expose external ingress and we'll just basically create the, um, the fully qualified domain name and provide it to you. And then you can hit that endpoint. Um, we have features coming down the pipeline in order to do things like, um, like, you know, bring your own like TLS and like bring your own um, type of model. But right now we're providing that for you. Um, so custom domains, like those kind of things are definitely on our roadmap. Um, so yeah, so that's another thing that we kind of manage and abstract away. Um, from a Kubernetes perspective, I think the question is less about like, what do we still need to know? And more about like, if I'm coming from AKS, how do I change my mindset and think about Azure container apps? Because then you're going to start thinking like, well, what about service mesh? And like, what about this feature? And what about that feature? And some of those features aren't going to necessarily be within the scope or context of, of container apps. And and don't quote me on service mesh. Like that's not an example of one that's just like never going to be in scope, right? I don't want to be like eating any words in the future. I'm just saying there are going to be certain complex um, paradigms that apply to Kubernetes that like aren't necessarily going to map back perfectly to container apps at this point, because uh, I think for someone who didn't know Kubernetes at all, like they're going to have to know very little about Kubernetes for someone who already knows a lot, they're going to be like, but what about this? And like, how do you do this? And how do I get insight into the Kubernetes API? And like, they're going to, they're going to have more questions because they want more, they're used to having more control. And so I think it's going to be a balance of like, how do we provide a, a very high level of management without necessarily losing, you know, customers because we don't have enough fidelity for them in terms of Kubernetes. Um, but we don't want to lose, you know, non-Kubernetes users by bringing too many Kubernetes concepts directly to to our consumers. And so, I think that's going to be tough for you guys. Honestly, uh, it's going to be a really tough challenge. Yeah, and it's it's an exciting one. But yes, I agree. Um, the challenge, the challenging aspects of it are definitely there. And I think. The big part of that is like, we're not the ones making, while we might be making decisions, our goal is not to make the decisions we think 
our best. Like the goal is really to get all of this from customers and try to, to make hypotheses around what we think customers need and then verify and validate that with our customer base. Um, and so we've already gotten a lot of great feedback from people around, you know, ways that we can make the service more usable. I know observability right now is one of our challenges. So we're working a lot and focusing on how do we make sure that without exposing the Kubernetes API, people can still get insight into what's happening. And so that's a big area that we're going to make sure, um, is more usable for for our customers. And ultimately, if people want their fine grain control, there still is the AKS product, right? Absolutely, yeah. There's still, Kubernetes is still out there, right? And that's one of the things we want to make um, more streamlined. Is like, okay, if this doesn't end up being the right service for you, you know, what is the kind of what is the path? What is the path for you into something like Kubernetes? And so, I, I don't think we have a perfect answer for that right now, but it's definitely something that we care about. And we want to make sure that the portability aspect is there. Um, one of the other things that I didn't mention and I haven't talked about, um, and this is no, by no means, I didn't mean to forget about this, but in, in addition to managing Dapper, we also have managed CADA. So the Kubernetes event-driven autoscaler, um, it's a big open source project that basically is help. It helps customers to scale their applications on things outside of things like CPU and memory that the horizontal autoscaler might do, um, you know, really well. And a lot of customers are already running Kata, you know, deploying it via Helm to their Kubernetes cluster in order to maybe uh, trigger scaling based on like topic, you know, number of uh, messages in a topic or whatever the particular um, trigger might be. And so we manage Kata for you. So you can basically define Kata scale rules. So that's another really compelling, I would say differentiator, but also something that we're helping manage for you is, hey, I can create a really simple, you know, bicep arm template, or even like a CLI command that basically I pass in some Kata scale rules, I pass in some Dapper components, and all of a sudden I have an app that's scaling based on queue length and it's, um, you know, using Dapper in order to connect to that queue. And so hopefully that will help from a microservices perspective, um, make the service even more compelling. We do have scale to zero because of Kata. So that's another differentiator, right? If you want to scale your pod down to zero and basically pay I would I wouldn't say pod, but it is kind of a pod in the back because we're running on AKS. But if you want to scale to zero your workload, um, we do provide that capability for you, and we actually don't have any charge for the um, the container that's been scaled to zero. Um, the differentiation there is there's kind of scale to zero, and then there's an idle. Um, so if you wanted to avoid cold start, which you'll see with any kind of like serverless platform, then you can pay a small idle fee in order to keep a warm instance or a couple of them warmed, so that as you you know, you start getting any kind of requests, you can scale. So um, being able to trigger and scale off of things beyond just HTTP is uh, definitely a really exciting aspect of the product. Um, what about, are there any security concerns that developers need to be aware of or, or those that are working in the portal that need to be uh, familiar with in, in setting up their configurations? Uh, you had mentioned MTLS inside of the the uh, Azure Container Apps uh, handled for you with Dapper and, and so forth. Are there any other things that we need to be aware of? Like how, do, how are we managing uh, external communication uh, uh, security concerns and things. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so um, we we have already. Um, 
I believe by the time this releases, it will be available. But yes, we have publicly committed to VNet integration. So internal, um, you know, in, inbound and outbound. So if you want to make use of things like private endpoints to connect to like other Azure resources, um, you have that, you know, available to you. And so VNet integration is going to be a big feature for a lot of our customers. Um, and then obviously we're managing the Kubernetes cluster on the back end. So there's certain things that we're doing to fortify the cluster, for example, like it runs on availability zones. So we that's more of a high availability concern, but there's certain things that we're doing on the back end clearly to make sure that the cluster is, is secure. Um, one thing that you'll have to consider is there still are um, aspect aspects to your container that you have to consider, right? Like doing things like container scanning and all of that is still going to be applicable because you have a... Um, you know, you have a container image that could potentially have vulnerabilities. So we're working on ways that we can integrate with um, with other services to provide some enhanced security capabilities. A lot of that I can't speak to at this point, but definitely keep an eye on the roadmap because you'll see a lot of investment in, in the security area. But a lot of the things you would expect from an Azure service um, from a security perspective are things that we're committed to investing in and integrating with our service. Anything else that, that you're excited about or, or that we should stay tuned for or, or keep an eye out for? Yeah, like I think the answer would be just like keep an eye out, period, because this is a very fast, fastly, quickly evolving service. Like we have a lot of things that we're investing in. Obviously, we just went preview. And so we have a little bit of flexibility in how we push out new features and making sure that we get as much customer feedback as possible. Um, so please, you know, follow the, the GitHub repo, please submit your issues, like reach out to us. We would love customer feedback as we're formulating um, the future of this product and, you know, any thoughts, investments, like all of that is always welcome. And so, um, yeah, just keep an eye out. There will be a lot coming in the next couple of months. And, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of possibility and opportunity for the service. And so, um, yeah, I'm just super excited and I appreciate having the opportunity to talk about it. And, um, and yeah, I hope this has been insightful. Would love to, you know, hear what people think after the, after the episode, feel free to reach out, um, because I'm always, I'm all ears for, for anything related to this service and, and people's experience. Very cool. Uh, what, what resources might you point people to? Uh, I know you've mentioned, the Microsoft Docs already, but uh, are there any other ones that, you know, for people that are trying to get started and want to start playing around with it? Yeah, so um, there are several repos that I would say are kind of uh, core community contributions that have been really helpful and that help showcase some of the capability. And I do want to caveat just like, you know, because we've talked a lot about it, these open source project products like, um, you know, Dapper and Kata, they're provided to you if you want to use them, but they're not required, right? Like these are not things that you have to make use of in container apps. If you have microservices that are just running traditionally um, and accessing resources in a traditional fashion, like no reason why you have to enable Dapper. It's just something that's there if and when it makes sense for you to use. Um, in terms of some resources, so um, as a prior GBB, I have to give a quick shout out to my team because we worked a lot on helping kind of formulate some of these um, these samples and things before container apps actually was released. And so um, I'll drop a couple of GitHub links to just some really good microservice examples um, and things that are, I would say, more comprehensive and like a bit more complex just to give people an understanding of, um, of what the service can do and what some of these uh, open source projects can provide. Um, and like you said, right, we have the, the GitHub repo, we have the Microsoft Docs, and then we have a lot of these community samples. So we'll continue to, to iterate on our documentation and provide um, 
great samples, hopefully. But yeah, I definitely have a subset that I can include in the in the show notes um, for anybody that wants to dive a little bit deeper. What has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those looking to level up their own careers? Yeah. So like I have a couple of pieces of feedback that have just been beneficial to me as I've basically gone from zero, I would say zero to I will say 80 because I'm definitely, I feel like there's always more, right? Like, especially with Kubernetes, my head hurts just like every day, like logging on and it's just like something else, some other technology, like some other thing, right? It's just constantly evolving, which is super exciting, but kind of hard to keep up with. So um, one of the cool, like little tidbits that I think somebody probably told me about this, to be honest, so I don't want to take credit for it, but someone at some point in my career told me about Feedly, like the RSS feed aggregator. And I actually find that this is really useful because you can essentially curate what I would consider to be like your own feed of news that's all related to areas of interest. And like, especially things like Azure updates, like as you're learning about cloud, and this could be applicable across clouds, by no means is like Azure, the only cloud out there. Obviously there's other great clouds and a lot of multi-cloud scenarios that we see. So I think just subscribing to some of these RSS feeds that you find compelling. And then you basically have like your own feed that over coffee in the morning, like set aside 15 minutes, have your coffee and just like read through, right. Just like have some knowledge and some awareness about some of these things. Um, I also recommend like if you have an opportunity to do any kind of shadowing on a large open source project, like Kubernetes puts out their release team shadow, like Google you know, form and like just apply, just like do little things that can help you understand more about how the open source ecosystem works. Um, I would say too, like Twitter has been such a friend to me because I did not have Twitter. Okay. I lied. I had Twitter in high school and I used it to like tweet Taylor Swift lyrics and I deleted it and took the username and recreated one for work specifically. And so I use Twitter as my work Twitter and everything comes out first on Twitter. Like every major player in the tech space is on Twitter and they're tweeting their thoughts and opinions on different technologies. And so just by like like basically just by like absorbing and listening, I've met so many great people and had great opportunities, but also learned so much. Um, and I feel like I'm less behind because things hit Twitter first. Like it really is such a cool community and ecosystem. Um, and then the, the last thing I'll add, and this worked really well for me when I was coming straight out of college, but I think it can work for anyone that has a more like didactic learning style. Um, I think it can be really overwhelming trying to learn some of these technologies, but like, for example, if like one of the, the things I want to learn more about is networking. And so I'm planning to take the Azure networking exam. Now, do I really care about passing the exam? Really? No, because I don't necessarily think that the end goal of having an exam badge is really going to be the thing that's going to make me more successful. I think it's the process of learning what I would need to learn. And so I do find that if you go on the website, even if you're not planning on taking an exam, look at the learning objectives and then create almost like a OneNote that has learning links on each of these topics and use that as a way to structure your learning. And to me, that's super beneficial just because people are good at time boxing and scoping certain study habits. And I think when you look at it as just this nebulous like networking topic, it's really hard knowing where to start. And so um, definitely doing that and just not being afraid to get your hands wet, like find some samples. And even if you don't know how they work, like go through and almost reverse engineer them and be like, I don't understand this. 
and like Google Bing, whatever you want to do is your friend. Like anytime I would be on calls where people would talk about a certain topic and I didn't understand what they were talking about, like, of course, ask questions, but also like, don't be afraid to then go Google that and be like, okay, what does this mean? Take something that doesn't make sense from that. And you will lose yourself in a trail of like teaching yourself nested topics. And that's how I learned containers. Cause I didn't know so many fundamental concepts that like learning containers wasn't attainable without kind of double clicking in on a bunch of things that didn't necessarily add up to me. And once I got to the bottom, then I could work my way back up the ladder. And so like, those are things that worked from, um, like when I was up late studying and kind of racking my brain. Um, and luckily the PM role, even in the past few weeks, I've gotten my hands super dirty with just playing with different things. And I've learned so much. So don't be afraid to just like find a tutorial and like dive straight, straight into it. Um, cause you'll definitely learn the most by doing. So you mentioned Twitter just a couple moments ago, but, uh, where can our listeners go to follow you and keep up with what you're working on? Yeah. So my Twitter is just at Kindle Roden. So it's just my first and last name, nothing too complicated. Um, definitely reach out via Twitter. Um, and if you reach out to me, DM me, message me, like I'm pretty, I'm typically pretty good about responding. Um, so yeah, definitely reach out there. But like I said, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm also on GitHub, same username, Kindle Roden, and I'm pretty active on GitHub. And if you mention me in issues, especially on the container app repo, like I'll definitely be, if it's more product related, I'll definitely be quick to, to respond or as quick as possible. <laughs> um, and I'll also drop a link for the AKS office hours because that's something I still plan on being invested in because I think Kubernetes and AKS are great offerings. And, um, and so I think having the ability to talk about, you know, the different offerings and, um, and being involved in that is great. So if you're interested in running on AKS, we also have the office hours that I can link, um, if you want to join. All right, perfect. Kendall, thank you so much for joining us tonight. This has been great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it. That was Kendall Roden. Kendall is a senior program manager for Azure Container Apps. When she is not online, she's most likely taking on a new adventure, whether that be traveling solo to New Zealand, teaching cycle, or performing stand-up comedy. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at sixfiguredev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. 